MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Friday, November 18th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Heading into the holiday shopping season, big retailers are hoping to offload all the excess inventory from recent months and also balance how much discounts they need to move product. The good thing is that this means more promotions and sales for consumers. But will it be the products that people want? The main items that will see the deepest discounts are computers, electronics, and toys, many of which are left over from pandemic delays. Beauty products, on the other hand, will not be seeing as many discounts. Melissa Repko, retail reporter at CNBC, joins us for what to know as retailers continue to do anything they can to attract customers. Next, the fall of the crypto exchange FTX has quickly wiped out the value of the company, the billions of dollars that its CEO was worth, and left scores of others without a way to access their money and assets. FTX has now filed for bankruptcy, and the new CEO that has stepped in said that he's never seen such a complete failure of corporate controls. Some experts have said that it could be possible that people never recover their funds. For now, it has caused more volatility in the crypto market and caused more values to drop. Joel Khalili, crypto reporter at Wired, joins us for all the fallout from the FTX collapse. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Macy's is in a better spot because at the end of last quarter, when it was only up 7% year over year versus double digits, like some of its competitors, it was able to bring in some of those giftable items, things that people can wear to holiday parties. And so he was saying that he thinks it puts them in a better spot going into the holidays. Joining us now is Melissa Repko. Retail reporter at CNBC. Thanks for joining us, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Let's check in with our big retailers right now as we gear up for the holiday season. I mean, there's already been a lot of promotions, a lot of sales happening. But, you know, usually as we get closer to the holidays, everything just ramps up even more. One of the things that we're keeping an eye out with our big retailers is the amount of inventory that they have. You know, uh, obviously coming out of the pandemic and all the disruptions that happened there, there was a lot of retailers that had a lot of extra stuff, uh, most notably in like electronics and certain apparel. And that for consumers is a good thing sometimes because they'll discount a lot of that stuff. But we're seeing uh, some big retailers already get rid of some of that inventory. You know, there's a lot going on. So, Melissa, help us walk through some of it. So inventory has really been a problem for a lot of retailers, particularly ones that have seen the tide turn 
with some of these popular pandemic categories. One of them was apparel. You know, a lot of people were buying loungewear and, and pajamas and things like that. They were also getting computer monitors for working at home. A lot of those categories have fallen from favor. Another one would be home goods as people stocked up on small kitchen appliances and were cooking more at home. So a lot of the excess stuff that retailers have are things that people don't want. So even as they discount them, it's hard to get these items to move in some cases if they're not on the top of people's wish list. And the problem here is also as you discount as a retailer, you're making less money on every item you sell. And for customers, while it is a good thing to have some bargains here, on the other hand, it's also trickier to find some of that fresher, newer types of of goods that you might want for Christmas. So we've seen this week that both Walmart and Target have made significant progress in clearing out some of that older inventory. And both of their inventory was down quite a bit. For both of them, it was about you know 13 or 14 percent year over year, which was much better than a quarter of ago. So both of them were pleased by that. And today we heard from Macy's, which reported that it also feels in a better spot with its inventory. Its inventory had not been up quite as much. But the CEO of Macy's was saying that Macy's is in a better spot because at the end of last quarter, when it was only up 7% year over year versus double digits, like some of its competitors, it was able to bring in some of those giftable items, things that people can wear to holiday parties. And so he was saying that he thinks it puts them in a better spot going into the holidays. Yeah, you know, as these retailers are ordering stuff, they're ordering things months in advance. And, you know, we know all the delays that happened through the pandemic. We've talked about them before. And that's kind of what caused the glut. It was tough to get things off of those containers and the ships and everything. And they so they just had so much. But what I hear a lot of is what we have is computers, electronics, and toys, which, I mean, it's kind of good going into the holiday season. But as you mentioned, right, a lot of people already have that stuff. But that that's basically where the majority of this excess inventory is coming from. Exactly. And one of the interesting ones to watch next week will be Best Buy. Best Buy, of course, sells a lot of TVs. It sells a lot of laptops. It sells a lot of consumer electronics. And some of those items have fallen from favor. So next week, we'll get a better sense of how it is doing. It did have relatively low inventory, but that may have changed depending on how the past three months have gone with sales. So what we're seeing in some of these promotions that are going to be going on, sometimes, you know, you can get a great deal of more than 20% off on certain things like that. But we've seen a lot of promotions already start in the summer. This is going to be extending, you know, into the holiday season. So really, a lot of people just got to pay attention to see what's out there, what's going to be going on sale. Exactly. One of the interesting dynamics that's come up now with several different retailers, Macy's being one, Target being another, and Kohl's being the third, is that all three companies spoke about seeing a lull in sales in the the last few weeks of October going into November. And the real question is whether consumers are holding out, feeling like there will be better bargains around Black Friday, or if they're just getting more price sensitive and going to be shopping less in general over the holidays. So there's a big question in the air about What's going on? Why was there a lull in October going into November? What does that mean? Is yeah. it that this customer thinks, you know, all the biggest and best sales are coming down the pike? Or are they saying, you know, I really got to watch the budget this year? Right. Totally. I mean, we're hitting this all time high inflation right now. So, I mean, it's eased just a tiny bit, but overall prices are high all over the place. And you're right. You know, like last year, because people were still fearing of a lot of shortages, they were buying way early. This time, maybe they are holding out for those bigger traditional sales, right? The Black Friday sales and like just in the last couple of weeks. So the buying habits from year to year have shifted already. Yes. One of the interesting theories that Jessica Nett raised today when I was speaking to him about Macy's is that he was saying that he thinks 
perhaps the lull was really just people kind of gearing up for another spending spree. And that he thinks that one indicator of that could be that people are still coming into Macy's stores and still going to the website in the same frequency. But instead of buying, they were browsing. So maybe they were scoping out what might be some of the gift items or looking for a holiday dress but not making the purchase. And he said perhaps people are reverting to more of the pre-pandemic shopping behavior where they shop a little bit closer to Christmas rather than earlier like they did last year. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because we're talking about the retail sector. We're talking about holiday shopping and all that. For a lot of people out there, it's really tough financially, right? Managing just food and gas prices and shelter. But this part of it is also so important to the economy, right? You know, if, uh, you know, we have a really bad holiday shopping season, so to speak, it impacts the economy in so many other ways, too. Exactly. And that was one of the things that was raised by both Walmart and Target. Both of them sell a lot of things that people consider necessities, paper towels, toilet paper, milk, eggs, things like that, even basics like socks. And both of them spoke about people pulling back on what they want and focusing more on what they need. And that really hurt Target, which is known for a lot of impulse purchases, kind of a lot of fun finds that might be, you know, creative snack that you can get in their grocery department or just a tube of lipstick, whereas Walmart has more of a grocery business. And so it's it's helped them that they sell a lot of those need to have items. But both of them really talked about, you know, people thinking a little bit more carefully about how they spend their dollars. That didn't show up quite as much for Macy's. And so it's really an interesting time because we're hearing some conflicting indicators. And hopefully in the coming days and weeks, we'll get a clearer picture of where the consumer's head is at. Melissa Repko, retail reporter at CNBC. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Either FTX had a hole because of that, or, or maybe or Alameda had a hole because of that, and um, you know one was used to plug the other. That's the only kind of reasonable way that we can assume that something to the tune of ten billion dollars goes missing. Joining us now is Joel Khalili. 
crypto reporter at Wired. Thanks for joining us, Joel. No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about the crypto exchange FTX. It's been in the news a lot since last week after its spectacular fall, pretty much. It was worth billions of dollars. Their uh, CEO also worth billions of dollars. All of that has seemingly just been wiped down to zero. And along with it, you know, a lot of the money, a lot of the crypto coins that, uh, that investors had there with the exchange, a lot of them are kind of unsure of what happened to their money now. It's uh, all mm. kind of frozen up. And as I mentioned, the, the company itself has declared bankruptcy, you know, and there's ripples throughout the cryptocurrency industry now, the whole market of it because of what's going on with this. So Joel, help us start from the beginning. Tell us about FTX and what happened to make this fall happen. It's a complex and kind of quite quickly evolving story. But if we start with FTX, FTX is one of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchanges. So this is a place that you might go to swap regular currency for cryptocurrency and vice versa. It was led by a a CEO known as Sam Bankman-Fried, or SBF, goes by his initials. And now, until recently, Sam Bankman-Fried was very highly regarded in the crypto space. He was considered a prodigy, and he's been able to attract investment from some of the biggest investors in the business. So this is a, a highly credible figure. Um, he's also spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill, actually, um, lobbying um, for crypto regulation in Washington. So this is a highly respected figure in charge of FTX. He was donating a ton of money to Democrats. And as you mentioned, right, a, a big respected figure, the crypto exchange at the beginning of the year was valued at $32 billion. I think his personal mm-hmm. fortune was like somewhere in the range of uh, $16 billion or something. So yeah, just a huge player in that whole thing. To start from the beginning, it, it, essentially what happened was that FTX has filed for bankruptcy after finding itself unable to meet a, a surge in withdrawals. Um, it gets a little complex, but in effect, the cause of this surge was a, a crisis of confidence in, in FTX's accounts. And that began in, in early November with a report published by Coindesk. So this report highlighted an uncomfortably close financial relationship between FTX and its sister company, Alameda Research. Now, this sister company was, was holding on its balance sheet many billions of dollars worth of a token known as FTT, which was itself created by FTX, and it cannot be readily turned back into, into cash. It's, it's not a liquid asset. So this creates a level of risk. The collapse itself, though, kind of began in earnest with a tweet from the CEO of Binance, which is a rival exchange. And now this tweet uh, announced that Binance would offload a large quantity of FTT, which in turn sent the price of this token plummeting creating panic around the kind of financial health of both Alameda and FTX, and then leading people to rush to withdraw their funds. Unable to process all, the, all these withdrawals, FTX was then ultimately pushed into bankruptcy. That's a kind of short, crypt version yeah. of what's and, happened here. And so that initial part, right, people were cre- uh, you know, uh, freaking out. They started pulling out all of their assets in there. And, uh, you know, going on that run, then they really started looking into what was happening there at FTX. Mm. And then they realized there was all sorts of other shady stuff that was going down. And they were lending out, uh, as you mentioned, billions of dollars to their sister company to fund risky bets. And, you know, the company was just not being run well at all. It would appear so. It would appear so. And so today there's been new light kind of shed on, on the severity of the situation. There was a, a court filing published by the new CEO who's, who's stepped in to essentially to, to oversee the bankruptcy proceedings. So his name's John Ray III. Um, and actually, this is the guy that oversaw the liquidation of Enron, you know, one of the most infamous uh, corporate failures of all time. But in this court filing that he published today, that he said that you know, never before in his career had he witnessed a, a failure of corporate controls on this scale, which is really saying something that paints a, a, a really bleak picture. 
And so where are investors in FTX left right now? Reuters reported that at least a billion dollars of customer funds are missing from FTX. There's a class action lawsuit that's going on right now saying that the consumers collectively sustained over $11 billion in damages. How much is money is missing from here? It's not yet entirely clear how much is left because, as I say, there appears to have been some very strange accounting going on here. Bankman Freed, the FTX founder, has himself claimed that there was an $8 billion shortfall. What is clear is that you know, hundreds of thousands of customers who are storing crypto with FTX, you know, both regular people like you and I and, and also institutions, have now lost access to their funds. So, you know, some of the people that I've spoken to over the last week you know, have a decade's worth of savings, some of them 15 years' worth of savings tied up in FTX, and, and that's money that you know, they may never see again. It's a, a really serious situation. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's explore that a little bit more because you did speak to a number of people that did have their stuff set up there on FTX and, and some of them even saw, you know, some of that uh, the craziness happening and, and they try to go in too, but they were locked out, right? So now their mm -hmm. coins, their their money, their assets, whatever it is that's in there is locked in there and they couldn't do that. Tell me some of the conversations that you had with those people. Sure. So one um, one individual I spoke to, he, he asked to be referred to as Samuel. Samuel is his first name, but he asked to be referred to only by first name to preserve his anonymity. But Samuel lives somewhere in, in Southeast Asia. He's currently between jobs, which means that money is, is tight. But on FTX, he held $25,000 worth of a cryptocurrency called XRP, which some listeners may be familiar with. But in his situation, he, he kind of first caught wind of, of, of a problem in early November. As I say, with the Coindesk report that came out in early November, there were kind of whispers of problems at FTX. So Samuel caught wind of these reports, but dismissed them as what's known in crypto circles as FUD, which is a, you know, that stands for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But it's, it's used to kind of describe exaggerated reports just right. designed to kind of sow discord. He dismissed those reports as FUD. And equally, at uh, this time in early November, Sam Bankman-Fried was tweeting, um, he tweeted uh, on November 7th that FTX was fine, that assets are fine. So he was actively kind of moving to create the sense that you know, reports had been completely overblown. And in Samuel's case, by the time he then, uh, on, on, November 8th, on November 8th, when withdrawals were suspended, by the time he attempted to extricate his funds from FTX, it was too late. The, the shutters had come down and, and you know, wow. with it. That's 10 years worth of savings for, um, yeah, for and, and, you know, that's kind of the sense that I get from a lot of crypto traders, a lot of in crypto enthusiasts, right? They're always riding the wave. They're always really into what they're doing. And, and they will be quick to dismiss a lot of some of these warning signs, right? As you mentioned, as FUD, they're all about uh, to the moon, you know, and, and holding strong on it. So you can see, you know, if, if you're trusting somebody like Bankman Freed, and he's saying mm. everything's okay. They're going to be like, well, everything's okay. Let's let's keep going with this. And some of the other people that you spoke to even still, you know, because a lot of people are in the lurch with where their funds currently stand. They said, you know, there's really no clear precedent in, in some of these scenarios that people will ever be able to recover some of their funds. That's right. I mean, the, the common comparison, you know, at the moment is, is with the situation with Mt. Gox. So this is a a really famous case, but another crypto uh, crypto exchange that, that went bankrupt back in 2014. You know, even now, eight and a bit years later, the legal battle over the redistribution of those assets is, is still raging on. So, you know, for the for the victims of the FTX collapse, we're looking at the 2030s here before they kind of see a resolution. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's so crazy! Just to to kind of think of that it would take so long like that. 
So what does this do for the crypto industry at large? I mean, I know there's a, a lot of confidence lost because of something like this. We're seeing, you know, prices of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies mm-hmm. continue to drop. You know, obviously, Bitcoin, the, the all-time high of whatever it was, $67,000 is uh, just a fraction of that now, too. So, so this collapse of the FTX exchange, what does that do for cryptocurrency at large? Sure. So actually, the, the, in, in some ways, the kind of second order effects, the, the ripple effects will be what's most interesting to watch here. So, you know, not only was FTX intertwined from a financial perspective with a number of other companies in the crypto ecosystem that are now kind of in trouble by association, the crypto lender BlockFi being a, a prime example, but the collapse has also created a, a broader crisis of confidence in crypto generally that has wiped you know, many billions of dollars from the markets. So in the days immediately after the news first broke, you know, Bitcoin and Ether, the two largest cryptocurrencies, they both shed more than 10% of their value. Another populist uh, cryptocurrency, Solana, was value was cut in half. Elsewhere, we've also seen crypto lender Genesis halt withdrawals earlier this week, you know, citing a kind of abnormally large quantity of withdrawals triggered by these unprecedented like, market conditions. So the concern is, is that FTX will buy um, the ripple effects of the, F- of the FTX collapse, the crisis of confidence in markets more broadly will then trigger a chain reaction of collapses, each of which could be kind of equally serious. Wow. And still, a lot of people say, hey, while well, this can really bring us down in the immediate right now, a lot of people still very much in favor of cryptocurrency, and they think that there will be eventually be a, a bigger rebound. That's correct. I mean, you know, speaking to speaking to the exchanges this week, you know, the the mood is subdued, but they're quietly confident that by taking a few steps to improve transparency. So, for example, a, a number of exchanges are proposing to publish proof of reserves, which, in, which is, in simple terms, a demonstration that they have enough cash on hand to fund customer withdrawals. Yeah. So that the hope is that steps like publishing proof of reserves, improving transparency around cryptocurrency exchanges will put the industry in a position to kind of come back stronger. So wow. you know, the, the CEO of Binance, um, uh, who, who we've discussed already, for example, he described the FTX collapse is, is almost a kind of cleansing event. So he, yeah. he, his perspective is that the rotten projects will be weeded out and, and kind of leaving behind a kind of core group of, of stable projects, of legitimate projects, kind of capable of setting the industry up for, for further growth. So there is a, you know, despite the severity of the situation, there is an optimism still. Well, we'll see what happens. This is a big one. As I mentioned, there's lawsuits all associated with this. Even celebrities that were doing commercials for FTX are uh, uh, put in these lawsuits as well. And then the matter of people getting some of their money back. Well, this is a, a big one. We'll see what continues to happen here. Joel Khalili, crypto reporter at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. 
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.